So there were all these different wonderful qualities that I saw in the show Beyond the Magic. And I, when I sat down and I met Elizabeth, she saw that I really had a great affection for the show. I knew what, you know, I was talking about <laughs> and that I respected her and um, the show. Mm-hmm. So she opened up to me and she did not grant interviews to anyone about that series since it had ended. And I met her in 1989 and the show ended in 72. Wow. So, you know, she had really moved on. Hi, this is Sci-Fi Talk, the podcast on how sci-fi, fantasy, horror, and comics help us explore our humanity. Herbie J. Pilato has written three books on the classic television series Bewitched and its star. It includes the latest The Essential Elizabeth Montgomery book. We look back on the career of one of TV's most loved stars, Elizabeth Montgomery. Uh, Elizabeth Montgomery was kind of like one of my first crushes when I was a kid. <laughs> she, of course. I mean, everybody says that to me. Everybody, it was everybody. She was amazing. Yeah, yeah. Especially Samantha. I mean, you know, uh, we assume that her and Samantha were very much alike. I'm sure she was a part of her, but I'm sure she was a very different woman in some other respects as well. Well, not really. Really? I mean, she, wow. didn't do, she didn't do the magic. <laughs> That's right. She had her own magic, but really, she was a, a very, very similar mm-hmm. to uh, the character. It was one of the reasons why the show was a hit because she infused herself into that role. Oh, that's cool! Um, and it was so—it was a natural progression. She didn't feel um, challenged by it. Mm-hmm. What led you to do this book on Elizabeth Montgomery? Um, I was—I loved Bewitched as a kid. My parents didn't have a lot of money. It was a tough neighborhood, and so, like many people in the 60s in general, I gravitated toward television for escapism. Yeah. You know, there was so much going on in the 60s anyway, the riots, yeah. Vietnam, and the horrible assassinations. So I gravitated towards all magic, escapism, fun TV of that era, and there were so many wonderful shows, Wild Wild West, mm-hmm. uh, Green Acres, you name it. Mm-hmm. But Bewitch struck me for whatever reason. So years later, uh, when I was an adult and I was working at NBC, I um, was at the page. Mm-hmm. Um, you get different assignments as a page, sure. and one of my assignments was publicity promotion. So I was assigned the promotion for I Dream of Genie 15 years later, which was a reunion movie of right. that show. Mm-hmm. And that kind of upset me because I thought, well, if there's going to be any reunion movie of a beautiful blonde magic woman with a mortal dark-haired guy, it should be Bewitched. Yeah. So I wrote one. <laughs> <laughs> and um, Elizabeth did not want to do a reunion. And then I had said, well, why don't we do a book about the original show? That's the short story. Ah. The long story had uh, Bill Asher, her husband, and the show's producer intervening for me and, and getting me to her. Oh, good. I wrote about the show. Mm-hmm. And I, I thought that it had a strong work ethic, that Darren, um, you know, didn't want her to zap anything up because of whatever he bought for her. He wanted to buy with his own money and... The important thing to remember is Samantha, it was her choice to live the mortal life. That's right. Darren didn't force her. So in many ways, she was one of the most independent women of the era. Yeah. You know, like along with that girl and, and pre-Mary Tyler Moore and Mary Richards. So there were all these different wonderful qualities that I saw in the show Beyond the Magic. And I, when I sat down and I met Elizabeth, she saw that I really had a great affection for the show. 
I knew what, you know, I was talking about <laughs> and that I respected her and um, the show. Mm-hmm. So she opened up to me and she did not grant interviews to anyone about that series since it had ended. And I met her in 1989 and the show ended in 72. Wow. Yeah. So, she, you know, she had really moved on. Mm-hmm. So after the first Bewitched book came out, and then I rewrote it as Bewitched Forever in 1995 after she died, I knew there was just so much more to her story beyond Bewitched mm-hmm. that needed to be told. Yeah. And uh, 20 years later, you know, I write Twitch Upon a Star, the Bewitched Life and Career of Elizabeth Montgomery, which came out last year. Mm-hmm. And that was a narrative biography of her life. Um, and I had written so much that my publisher said, Herbie, you wrote too much. <laughs> so, of course, you know, like I talk too much. I said, well, how about we take the index to the book, expand it, and make a second book next year? And that's what the, the essential Elizabeth Montgomery. There is more sci-fi talk, so stay tuned. You're saying in your dealings with her, she was, her personality and such was very... Similar to Samantha's? Very much so. Um, very much so. She, um, and I talk about this a lot in the, in the first Twitch book, and I coordinate it also, I think, succinctly in, in the second book. But yeah, some, Elizabeth came from very prestigious parents. Her father was Robert Montgomery. Her yeah. mother was a Broadway actress. You know, she grew up in, in, in the, uh, high rolling community of, um, upper Manhattan there. But she was very down to earth, and she was very unaffected by any of that. She didn't. Sometimes she didn't care about money, but she knew there were other more important things than money. Mm-hmm. So she reveled and relished in in the regular life things. Like mm-hmm. whenever on um, they'd order a pizza on the set of Bewitched, you know, she would just love that. Because <laughs> nobody in the Montgomery household or estate was ordering a pizza on a Friday night, you know. Wow. When she was growing up, it wouldn't happen. So Samantha gave up the witch life, just like um, Elizabeth gave up the rich life. Um, and she brought that down-to-earth personality into Samantha mm-hmm. and made witches likable and believable because she was so likable as yeah. a person. You know, Bill Asher, William Asher was the producer and really guiding force, you know, creatively in the background of Bewitched and eventually became uh, her husband as well. What was their relationship like? Uh, I know there were problems at the end and they eventually divorced, but um, I mean, was it a type of relationship? uh, I mean, like working with your own spouse, that is could be a strain on some marriages. Uh, Did that contribute a little bit to that? Well, yes. I mean, it was a very, I mean, every relationship, I think, is complicated. You know, whether you're you're married, your mother and father, or your sister, brother, cousins, work, whatever. I mean, it's all difficult. Yeah. You know, this, this, this world is very more stressful, and, and, and it's not easy. That's the way I look at it. When, when Elizabeth met Bill Asher, it was on the set of Johnny Angel, or excuse me, Johnny Cool, right. which was a film he directed, and she uh, was late. She was either late for the audition or late for the um, the, the first day of rehearsal. Mm-hmm. Either way, she was late, and he didn't like that, and he was upset, and there was this love-hate thing going on from the minute they met. 
<laughs> uh, they hate they hated each other and then they fell in love <laughs> and 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 they got married. Mm-hmm. So um he you know he wasn't an especially good looking uh man, but he was funny and he was intelligent and he was extremely talented and the ladies loved him. Mm-hmm. And his eye wandered. But I don't know how anybody's eye can wander when you're married to Elizabeth Montgomery. Yeah, that's uh, that. That'd be hard to wander when you have that, <laughs> you know. <laughs> but but it did, and he hurt her a great deal. And then it was, you know, towards the end of the show, their marriage was really having uh, a lot of issues, and, mm-hmm. and the show was was not as strong as it was. Mm-hmm. And so the marriage ended. And, or the series ended, and, and so did the, the marriage. And that happens a lot in Hollywood. Yeah. Yeah. You know, Carol Burnett, Joe Hamilton ended their marriage after the Carol Burnett show, more or less. Uh, Mary Rich, Mary Tyler Moore and Grant Tinker ended their marriage, more or less, after her hit show. In Hollywood, there are more business partnerships than marriages, many times. Mm-hmm. Not all the time, but many times. Mm-hmm. But again, celebrities are not regular people. They're just not. They're in the public eye, and whatever issues they might have are just simply exacerbated. Yeah. But in my opinion, mm-hmm. and, and and Bill admitted this to me, and he also admitted it to the world on the Each for Hollywood story. You know, there was a very deep love uh, between he and Elizabeth, and I don't think he ever. I know he never got over her. When I was doing a show called "100 Greatest TV Characters" for Bravo. And um, I went to interview him in his later years when he had the onset of Alzheimer's. And yeah. he, we couldn't get through the interview because he was crying about Elizabeth. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and say he said it was his fault that they broke up. And he was married again. And his wife, his new wife was in the room. Wow. You know, and he's bawling over this, his, his, his deep love for her. Yeah. So I think, I think Bill Asher and Robert Foxworth, who was her fourth and final husband, yeah. those were the two loves of her life. Mm. Oh, wow. Interesting. The heart pendant that she would wear that became a signature on the show, actually, Bill gave that to her, as I understood. Yes. Yes, he did. Yeah. Yes, he wow. did. And she, and she wore that right up until, I'd say, seventh season, early early onset eighth season, when things were really... And if you if you watch that eighth and final year, you see... You know, she's just dragging her feet through the scenes, you know. Yeah. It's not the the spark of Samantha is gone because the spark of what she brought to that character was gone. Yeah. You know. Yeah, yeah it probably ran more than it should have, but uh, you know, it was it was in its heyday there was nothing like it. Um nothing like it. There's and you're right. It it went too many seasons on and they started repeating themselves. I never yeah. understood why why Bill just didn't hire a bunch of New writers. Yeah, yeah. But they went back and redid Dick York episodes with Dick Sargent, the second Darren. So yeah, let's talk about the two Darrens. Uh, as uh, you pointed out um, in some of the emails you sent me, uh, she was actually happier with Dick Sargent than than Dick York. Yes, Dick York was multi talented, and 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 Dick Sargent certainly was. You know, had his talents as well. But my gosh, Dick York was just a genius. You know, and he had this incredible wealth of uh, experience in acting from the stage since he was a, a small boy from radio. Yeah. Since he was 12 years old. So um, when he finally had to leave the series because of painkillers that he became addicted to, because of pain 
uh, a hurt back on on a movie he did called uh, They Came from Cordura, I think 1959. Um, he never really recovered, and mm-hmm. he finally just uh, had a, a breakdown on the set, and they had to replace him. Nobody wanted to replace him, yeah. but they had to replace him because it couldn't go on. Yeah. Um, so he was also in, in love with Elizabeth, which didn't help the tension on this set. Uh-huh. And he and he admitted this in his book too, by the way. It's nothing new. I'm not nothing revolutionary that I'm mentioning here. But Dick Sargent, who happened to be gay, you know, for that reason alone, I think might have been a less of a threat to Elizabeth. And he was a calming, a more calming presence than Dick Sargent. Mm-hmm. Or excuse me, than Dick York. Mm-hmm. So the the stress was off. Yeah. And yeah. I asked Elizabeth, you know, what she felt about the less an- less animated performance of Dick Sargent, and she handled it very diplomatically and said that by the time that Dick Sargent came along, the character of Darren was less uh, or more accepting of the magic, so he wasn't as freaked out. Right. 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 You know. Right. But if you watch that sixth season of Dick Sargent, they were trying to make him like Dick York, mm-hmm. you know, and then finally they just let Dick Sargent be Dick Sargent. No, yeah, is it? Uh, I I I thought it was uh, it was disappointing, uh, you know, when he, when Dick York left, but um, but obviously I didn't know about the health issues until now, so I can, I can appreciate that. Um, but and Dick Sargent, I he mean, didn't want to leave. He yeah, didn't yeah, leave, yeah, but yeah, I hear you. But uh, you know, Dick Sargent was fine, and I've seen him in other things that I've enjoyed him in. Uh, but um, that was some tough shoes, and uh, yeah, York, oh. York, uh, York just was. Uh, uh, he was he was a brilliant actor, and I thought they had an excellent give and take between the two of them that uh, I don't think was ever duplicated again. It's so hard to to get chemistry anyway. Well, like uh, Donna Reed, God bless her, one of the loveliest actresses of all time. Yeah. TV actresses. You know, she she tried to, or they hired her to replace Bel- Barbara Belgetti's on Dallas. Yeah, that's right. And it just, you know, she no matter how talented she was, just it was the wrong mix. Yeah, yeah. It was nobody's fault. It was just the wrong mix. And she, Absolutely. And Barbara Gel- Belgetti's made that role her role, that yeah. role. Yeah. There's more on Elizabeth Montgomery. You know, you can become part of my premium service. All you have to do is just go to scifitalk.com, click on the premium link on that page, and then on the premium page, to sign up, just get the Get Premium Access link to get you started. Then you create a MyLibsyn account, and you can choose whatever subscription level is right for you. Then you can listen to premium content as long as you're logged in, right from my premium page, iOS app, or Android app. One subscription lets you log in and access premium content from all three in just a couple of easy steps. And there's over 400 shows, and upcoming there'll be specials on the last seasons, looking back really on their entire seasons, of both Warehouse 13 and Being Human. And now let's get back to my conversation with Herbie J. Pilato. What's interesting, too, that you point out is, uh, I although... You know, I didn't think about it at the time because I was a young lad and didn't put two and two together as well as I do now. But there was kind of almost uh, a, a rivalry between I Dream of Genie, ironically, and, and Bewitched because um, actually if you look at it, they did kind of, uh, and I'll say, borrow a lot of their ideas, uh, like the like the, the, the cousin or look-alike cousin that 
that like Elizabeth played so well, and then they had uh, uh, you know Jeannie do the same thing, have her own uh, cousin too. So there was a lot of similarities that way. Well, I'll tell you, Elizabeth wasn't happy about any of it. Yeah. Um, I, Jim and Jeannie came one year later. What happened was that um, NBC was, looked at the success of ABC and Bewitched. NBC contacted uh, Saul Sachs, who created Bewitched, and said, we want a witch. He goes, I don't want to do a witch. I already did a witch. And so they moved on. Yeah. And then they contacted Sidney Sheldon. Sidney Sheldon had worked with Bill Asher, actually, on a show called The Patty Duke Show. Oh, of course, yeah. And so they were good friends. So Sidney went to Bill and said, do you mind if I do this show about a genie? And Bill didn't care. But Sidney asked Bill and Elizabeth to lunch to talk about all this. And when Sidney said, well, i am just got to think of a way for genie to do the magic like Samantha does. Mm-hmm. And how about if I, you know, they blink. So when they started talking about the blink to her twitch... Elizabeth's mouth dropped, uh, and as she told me, it was a silent drive home with her ooh, and Bill Asher. And then when they started doing the dark-haired sister Jeannie yeah. to <laughs> the dark-haired cousin Serena on Bewick, yeah. well, that was it. Yeah, you oh, know, sure, I sure, sure. I mean, Elizabeth just, she didn't blame Barbara Eden, she didn't blame Larry Hagman, she just was not at all pleased with Sydney. Yeah. You know? She did say, though, had she been Barbara, she might have said, well, you know, I maybe I shouldn't do this. Yeah. But, you know, what you going to, Barbara, you know, was offered a series. I know I wouldn't turn down no series. Yeah, it was really, it turned out to be her big break. So, uh, you oh, know. absolutely. So, I mean, uh, you can't fault her for taking the part. Nope. You know, that's interesting. But that's one of the many things I think that you pointed out that was, um, that we don't, that, the, you know, the average person viewing, um, you know, isn't uh, isn't aware of. Well, one of the reasons why I wanted to write these books, uh, the the newer ones on Elizabeth, was that people didn't realize, and people don't realize, that Elizabeth did so much work before and after Bewitch. She did over two hundred guest starring roles before Bewitch. She did The Untouchables. She did Alfred Hitchcock Presents. She mm-hmm. did The Twilight Zone, 77 yeah. Sunset Strip, uh, 28 episodes of her father's show, Robert Montgomery Presents, and on and on and on. And then after Bewitch, she did The Victim, Mrs. Sundance, A Case of Rape, The Legend of Lizzie Borden, Deadline for Murder, With Murder in Mind. Uh, I mean, countless, countless TV films. She became the queen of TV movies. And everyone thought, oh, well, she's just little Samantha. Well, she was so much more. Actually, that's a very interesting point, too, that I, I wanted to bring out is I thought that was after Bewitched ended and she started doing the TV films. I thought that was probably one of the most prolific times of her career. And she really, as you mentioned, she really got to stretch her acting muscles and do things she couldn't do, you know, kind of stuck in that situation comedy uh, fantasy series. Absolutely. And, and in the end, when she and Bill Asher were having their issues and she finally divorced him, uh, in 1970, the summer of 1973, no, excuse me, summer of 74, um, she met Robert Foxworth yeah. on the set of Mrs. Sundance. And they fell in love, you know, on that set. Mm-hmm. And he's really the one who pushed her to do the more serious roles. However... I did sit sit down with her and I said, you know, where I, I'm glad you did a case rape and all those those films, but where is the comedy 
comedic spark that you brought to Samantha. You can still do a comedy again, you know. You know, which she did with a, a, a film called uh, When the Circus Came to Town. It was a 1981 TV movie with Christopher Plummer. But after that, there were no more comedies, you know, and, and I missed it. And I think a lot of people missed it. Yeah. And and she was going too far on the other end of the spectrum. I mean, they were all violent films after that. Yeah, yeah. You know, do it once, okay. Do mm-hmm. it twice, okay. Mm-hmm. But again and again and again. I, we, I think we all missed, like I said, that comedic spark that she brought to Samantha. Mm-hmm. Now, when you talked to her, uh, how was her health at the time? In 1989, she was okay. She was she was doing okay, but she was a very complicated person, you know. And 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 one of the reasons why I wanted to do um, tell her story was, and I was conflicted about it myself, is that if I didn't tell the story, some other goofball would have, and and they would have told it in a hurtful, mean spirited way. Mm-hmm. So I was compelled to tell her story, but to do so with love. The first to admit that the biography that I came that came out last year is not a regular celebrity biography. It's not an objective, completely objective biography. It was hard to do that, but it was it it tells the truth, but it tells so in a loving, kind way. And the second book is is I think much more lighthearted, um, but it covers an expansion. The first book is like her, a narrative telling of her life story with a concentration on her um, career, and the second book is a an encyclopedia of her career with a mention of her life and how it, both books are, intersp- how they intersperse um, her life with her career. Yeah. No, her health wasn't the best. I mean, I think she had a few, this is my opinion now, but I think she had a few dis- uh, um, eating disorders. She was very thin at times, and she was half heavy, and and she had uh, issues with alcohol that exacerbated, I believe, in my opinion, her uh, colon cancer. Yeah. Um, had had she not had drinking issues, which a lot of people had in the 60s and 70s because it was considered a cool thing to drink. Yeah. And the, the, the negative effects of alcohol were not fully studied as they are today. Yeah. But had she not had drinking issues, I believe that we she would be alive today. Safely Talk returns in a moment. It would have been nice. Uh, I mean, do you, what do you think she'd think of the fact that we're still talking about Bewitched and her work all these years later? Well, um, you know, it's funny. When I met her and when I sat down and talked with her, she didn't know that she was as loved still in 1989 as she had been always for Samantha. And this was... Just before Nick at Night and TV Land was coming into the forefront again. Yeah, yeah. With the resurgence of nostalgic TV, you know. So, you know, like a couple months ago, Barbara Eden showed up in Australia somewhere with Clinton, uh, President, with former President Clinton on stage, and she was in her genie outfit, and everybody went wild. Yeah. <laughs> it was, I remember, it was all over the internet. Yeah, that's right, that's right. Well, if Elizabeth was alive, and she had done that in her black, Witch's outfit, yeah. I mean, the world would have been just as mm-hmm. mesmerized. Yes, I think so. I think so. I think in a lot of ways, there's more affection towards her. No disrespect to Barbara Eden than Elizabeth, because she had a way of kind of um, breaking that fourth wall between the viewer. And it's, it's, it's almost like you knew her because she was such a real character and the way she played her. That um, and, and that's 
pretty amazing considering the subject matter of the show. But she seemed like she was very real, and I think people related to that. Yeah, I, I think you hit it right on the, well, twitching nose there. <laughs> um, and, and again, Barbara Eden hot as all get out. Looks fantastic to this day. Yes, she does. But, but, but Jeannie and Bewitch were two different shows, and Jeannie and Samantha were two different characters. Yeah. And Elizabeth brought an intelligence to that show and to that character. You could see the intelligence in her eyes. And you're right. She, she, she brought you in to make you feel that you were right in that living room with her or that you were right flying right by her side. She had soul. Yeah. You know, yeah. That's, that's how I explain it. Yep. She had soul. She did. And you, you felt like you were in the house, not like Mrs. Kravitz peeking in. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> so, yeah. I, I mean, that's, uh, I mean, there's so many things that happened. Wasn't there, um, didn't they, uh, didn't they switch also their boss? Uh, you know, uh, I guess Darren's boss. Didn't they get a new boss later on too, or no? No, no. David White stayed as Larry Tate for the entire eight years. There were two Mrs. Tate. Ah, that's the one. That's what it is. Yes. I knew it was one of those. (laughs) (laughs) Well, there were two Mrs. Tates. Um, uh, one was played by Irene Vernon, the first one, and then Casey Rogers came along and played her. And uh, in the later years, and yeah, I like Casey two, better actually. If I remember, she was actually a little more had a little more sex appeal to her. If I, if I recall, yeah, well, she had more personality. She did. Uh, you she know, did. Irene Vernon, God bless her, she was uh, devastated when she got fired. Actually, yeah, because Danny Arnold was associated uh, was the one who got her the part, and when Danny Arnold left the show, one of the producers, he and Elizabeth never got along. So anyone who was ever connected with Danny was let go. Yeah. And and that devastated Irene. But Irene did bring her own thing to to Louise. It was more sophisticated, I think. But Casey really made the part her own. Oh yeah. And then of course, um Esmeralda, Alice Ghostly, the bumbling witch play replaced Marion Lawrence and Clara. Right, right. You know, not the same character but a similar character. Similar, right, yeah, yeah. Uh and Another thing you point out is the relationship between Agnes Moorhead and Elizabeth Montgomery. Ironically, both were on the Twilight Zone at one time, so that's kind of uh, that as was Dick York and Dick York. Yeah, so yeah, that's right. So um, and both both Agnes and Elizabeth played characters who didn't talk. That's right. That's right. Isn't that interesting? <laughs> <laughs> that's right. Didn't say a word. Agnes played the the you know the 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 woman who had the little aliens come into her barn. Yeah. Yeah. And then Elizabeth played uh, the, the um, Russian uh, mm-hmm. woman on uh, opposite Charles Bronson of in all an episode people. of about the end of the world. Yes, that's right. Yeah, too. I remember that very well, actually. It's a, too. one of my favorite episodes of The Twilight Zone. And she looked like Serena. She had the black hair. She did. Yes, that's right. That's <laughs> right. She did look more like Serena than uh, than uh, Samantha. But uh, yeah, yeah, they were on there. So their relationship was. Uh, you know, Elizabeth didn't speak fondly of her, I take it. Of Agnes? Yes. Um, they they loved each other, but again, they you know, they, they were two talented women, artistic women on a set for eight years. Mm-hmm. Uh, Agnes had a great deal of respect for Elizabeth and her father. we got to remember, Agnes came from the Mercury Theater Players of Orson Welles yeah. training camp. Sure. Okay? So she, you didn't get any better an actress than being Agnes Morehead. You just yeah. didn't. It didn't happen. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so she had very high standards for Elizabeth. So when Elizabeth would, you know, like there was this one time where uh, early on in the series between takes, 
Agnes was leaning up against the TV in the living room, and, and Elizabeth just decided to say, you know, Aggie, she used to call her Aggie, uh, doesn't it hurt your eyes with all that junk you got on and off, got on, on up there? And, and Agnes was like, oh, Elizabeth. Uh, she wasn't pleased that, that Elizabeth said she had junk on her eyes. The junk meaning the makeup. Makeup, right, yeah, sure. Because she had so much mm-hmm. makeup. So yeah. she would talk to her like that in very regular ways. And, you know, Agnes was very regal. And, yes. And Shakespearean. And, you know, she would say, well, Elizabeth, don't talk to me that way. <laughs> but... She uh, she was also a very strong fundamentalist and a uh, Christian. I used to love uh, the scenes where they seemed to be like floating and they were in their witches' outfits, just kind of talking and having a conversation. And yeah. uh, yeah. and again, very those those scenes, no special effects, no crazy no, CGI. No. Yeah. They did what they could yep. with themselves and. Just like when she would talk to the animals. You believe she was talking to those animals. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Yeah. She made it so real. Uh, a, n- a nice little trivia question. Her father was played by uh, Maurice Evans, um, who I think went on to uh, to play uh, a big part. And yes, he was in... Uh, he was in Planet, Planet of, of the, the Apes. Apes. Yeah, yeah. So he had... Uh, he went on to do that. I guess, uh, I guess it might have been towards... It was 68, so I guess it was the middle of the run. Yeah. Of, uh, yeah that's another thing. You'd always tell Bewitched what time, uh, what decade you were watching it in. As <laughs> as uh, as the clothes got more, you know, hip 70s and stuff, you'd see that. Well, you know, and, and her show. hairstyle, too. And oh, yeah. yeah. With her, she made a conscious effort to make every season different. Yeah. You know, in that sense. And, you know, that's another great point because so many shows today, you watch a show, and it's like, okay, what episode is this? Yeah. You know, you, they all meld together, two and a half men. It's yeah. the same same story. Yeah. The same clothes. Okay, maybe Charlie Sheen left, but it was the same other similar character. It's all the same. Yeah. You, yeah. you watch an episode of Bewitch, oh, it's that one. That, right away, you know which one it is. Yeah. So it's very, it was very distinguished, and a lot of the shows in those days were that were done that way. They're not done like that today. No, and it was neat because you kind of, you know, what you end up doing is you kind of grow old along with them, or kind of evolve with them as the styles change. So I thought that kind of worked, and I do miss that. I do miss that a lot. So it's really a shame they don't do that anymore. It, it was. You look back at the show, and it still holds up extremely well. I mean, is it on television anywhere at this time? I'm not. It is going to be debuting on Antenna TV starting Thursday, October 30th, mm-hmm. um, with a 27-hour marathon. They're calling it a witch-a-thon. <laughs> Great. Great. So, yeah, it's just coming back on. It's going to have a nice long run there. Mm-hmm. And then next year is the 50th anniversary, so there's all kinds wow. of things. I don't want to say what. Yeah. But all kinds of things are planned for next fall. Now, are there DVDs, too, available? Or Yes. The DVD is out in an eight-season uh, package. Mm-hmm. Um, you can get those online, of course. Sure. Um, right along with my book mm-hmm. um, through barnesandnoble.com or mm-hmm. amazon.com. Specifically, you can get my book through roman.com, which is my publisher, Taylor Trade, um, a, a subsidiary of Roman Littlefield. Or you can go right to HerbieJPilato.com and order the book. Or certainly into your bookstores around around the country. Is it available as an ebook yet? 
Yes, it is. Okay. Books are. Hey, you're 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 right. You're right with it then. <laughs> I'm right on top of the situation. Yeah, I'll tell you. These days, you have to be. It's really amazing. You look back at, at shows, and and you can kind of look back at your life a little bit. And uh, I, I was it on Tuesday nights? Was it? Was that when it was on? It was on. I think it was a Wednesday. It was on Thursday originally. Okay. Then it was on Wednesdays for a while. Okay. And then it was on Saturday opposite All in the Family. And everybody thought, oh, well, it's canceled yeah. because of All in the Family. No. It was holding its second place. ABC gave her the farm. She didn't want the farm. And she wanted to end the series. So she ended the series. The show was not canceled. Very important to remember. Well, that's really interesting. Yeah, it, it was, you know, that was actually, uh, I think, that was the right thing for her to do at the time. You know, I think it was just time to leave. And as far as the TV films, did she have a contract with ABC who was producing a whole bunch of them at that time? Or did she just kind of do them, you know, make a deal for each one separately? She did the two movies, uh, The Victim and Mrs. Sundance, because it was a leftover contract. Because she was supposed to do a bewitched movie, a TV mm-hmm. movie that would have, like, closed the show. But that didn't happen. Yeah. So she had uh, she filled in her contract with ABC with two movies, and then she went to NBC starting with A Case of Rape. Right. And then she went on to CBS and did uh, just a whole slew of movies. Yeah. Well, you know, we're not even going to mention the the film version of Bewitched that came out. Um, that just lacked everything the series had. So it was it was pretty horrible to even watch a few seconds of it, as a matter of fact. Well, they tried. It, they you did know, try. They had hired me to be a consultant on the movie, and I and I did my best to, to help Nora Ephron through it, more or less. God bless her. Uh, she was a genius writer and, 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 yeah. and, and whatnot. But she uh, just refused to listen to my notes. <laughs> Not that my notes would have saved the movie, but it would have helped a little bit. So it was, it was heartbreaking, but she, they tried and they had a good story. So it was an interesting story. It just wasn't executed all that well. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I, it's pretty much uh, forgettable and not much. There's not a lot of demand for it to even be on TV. So it, I guess it goes to show you uh, the original coming back with a 27-hour marathon. Uh, another question, and I'm, I'm, probably, I, I'm probably right about this, but the series started in black and white and finished in color, didn't it? Correct. First yeah. two years were black and white, and the, the last six years were color. Yeah, yeah. What did you think of the animation sequence in the beginning of the show? Did you ever mention that at all? She, yeah, she didn't like it. You know, <laughs> she, she didn't like the that, and she didn't like the theme music. She was, it was okay, but she wanted Bewitched, Bothered, and Bewildered, that, oh, oh, that that's song. Cool. That's cool. Um, and there were actually lyrics to the Bewitched theme. Mm-hmm. Um, but they were cut because the Harry Ackerman executive producer thought it would be too much business mm-hmm. at, to have the lyrics and the uh, the theme and then the animation all at once, you know. And they had done that on shows like Hazel that he had also produced, and after the first season it was just the uh, the uh, the music theme and then live action. So yeah, there were there were there was a theme music. She didn't like the animation. She wished it was more because mm-hmm. she was an artist. She loved to draw, and she, when she was a kid, she had a a vision of working for Disney, you oh, know. Yeah, wow, yeah. So, uh, she, you know, she knew what was good and what mm-hmm. wasn't. A couple of things. Uh, have you ever reached out to Robert Foxworth at all to talk about uh, about? Actually, yes. I I talked um, 
with uh, Robert and and Elizabeth's kids, all who were wonderful, wonderful uh, people. And more or less, you know, they have their own things planned. They had no objections to my book, uh, but they they didn't want to grant interviews for them because they had their own things going on. And I totally okay. respect that. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and let me say on the record that Robert Foxworth was always wonderful to me, oh, always good. generous and kind to me. Um, and as were her her children, Rebecca Asher, who was a director. Oh, cool. Uh, and Robert Montgomery, uh, who Elizabeth named for her father, and Billy Asher, um, who was I, I believe uh, not really a junior, but just named after his father. Are they all in the business, like their parents? Robert and Billy are are work together in. in Billy fixes. Um, he has great music business. Oh wow! That he he fixes um, instruments and and whatnot. He actually fixed my guitar. Oh wow! <laughs> which I talk a little bit about in the opening of Twitch Upon a Star. That's cool. Um, and Rebecca like it had, was a script supervisor for years, and now she directs. Like she just directed an episode of The Middle. Wow! Look for at that. ABC. Well, just so. yeah, following in her father's footsteps. That's pretty cool. Correct. That's Correct. great. That's great. Well, Robert Foxworth uh, was. Interesting actor to me because, um, in uh, in some ways, he was the precursor to uh, Lieutenant Commander Data in a pilot Gene Roddenberry did called the Quester Tapes. Absolutely. Yeah, he really was. And then actually, things come full circle, and he ended up playing a Vulcan on uh, on Star Trek Enterprise. So it kind of there you go. So no, yeah, I'm so glad you brought that up because yes, and not only was that the precursor to Data, mm-hmm. but it, it was happening around I think around the six million dollar man. Yeah, that's right. And, that's right. And the Quester tapes was you know he we had superhuman strength, but it was so far ahead of the six million dollar man. Oh and yeah. And believe me, I'm a huge Bionic fan because I wrote the Bionic book. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Um, but Quester was you know uh, was a Gene Roddenberry project about this intelligent alien or uh, android that is seeking out his creator. Yeah. Which he kind of took that premise for Star Trek the motion picture. Yeah, he did. He did. He did. And. I, there's a. This is really ironic, and only a, a person like me that loves Star Trek would know this. And, and Roddenberry, but in Quester, there's a, a scene where Quester makes money by gambling at a casino, and then there's then during Star Trek: The Next Generation, I think year two, there's a scene that they put in. I guess Rodden they they literally took the same scene and put it in a Star Trek episode where Data they're actually stuck in a casino in this world or whatever. And the end up data ends up winning money in a casino, <laughs> so it really tied. I always looked at Quester as Data's dad, you know. So well, you know that is that is fascinating because yeah. it was like it was like they remade the Darren episodes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it was so funny because Robert Foxworth and Elizabeth showed up on. Oh gosh, I can't think of the the the, the uh, talk show's name. The, who was the comedian who was on Saturday Night Live, and then he became. Oh, Chevy Chase had his own talk show. No, no not later Jamie? on. Later, later on. on. Oh, Arsenio? No, he wasn't on. No. He's still oh, back. Oh, jeez. Um, Bill, Bill, um, oh, jeez, I can't think of the name. But anyway, they, they did this talk show, and uh, years later, and Elizabeth would not do these kinds of things. She would never make personal appearances. She'd do game shows. She did Merv Griffin only very once, and Mike Douglas only once, 
but nothing on a weekly basis or a regular basis, but she did game shows. So after she talked to me and she really opened up and realized how much she was Samantha, she felt more comfortable talking about Bewitched, and she went on to do, later on, a talk show to promote her various movies. Anyway, this particular talk show host asks Robert Foxworth, who comes on with her, he goes, so which Darren are you? No. <laughs> and, oh. you know, he wasn't too pleased with that. And Elizabeth, oh. you know, laughed it off a little bit. But now that you're telling me the data, they, they remade data, or Quester scenes with data, that, that's fascinating to me because they remade Dick Sargent or Dick York episodes with Dick Sargent. It's not unusual in television. If something works, they find a way to work it in. <laughs> you know, right. it's, a, it's a copycat medium, you know, in a lot of ways. And uh, I know it's it's an old writer's trick if you if you're stuck for something you kind of go back to your it's something that works and you stick it in and you just kind of fudge it a little bit but I, it just ideally it says he had a character that was also an android and they also needed to uh, find a way out so that that was the way they did it it was data made money so it was uh, just like quester had done in the movie so uh, but quester was like setting himself up with a small fortune so that he could live while he looked for his creator. So, uh, yeah, it was, uh, it was an interesting, um, premise. Uh, it was, uh, not a great time in Roddenberry's life. He had done Star Trek and, you know, he had, he did a couple of pilots and none of them sold. Um, you know, one with Robert Culp and he did one with, uh, he did two versions, one with John Saxon and, Another actor who, yeah, and both none of them sold, and Alex Cord, Alex Cord, yeah, and then all of a sudden, you know, he did. Yeah, they did uh, Planet. What well, was uh, Genesis Two first? Genesis Two, Planet Earth, Planet Earth, and then they and did. Then there was there was Brave New World, right, or Brand New World, Brand New World, and then they did Spectre, which was a uh, uh, a uh, psych, like almost like a horror, not, not horror, right. but paranormal type show, right. Uh, and, uh, with, um, you know, and then with Robert Culp and none of those, yeah, none of those. Well, then years later, you know, like in the early 2000s there, they did the Andromeda and they used the name Dylan Hunt. Yes, that's right. That's right. Um, which they they used originally on planet on, uh, Genesis. That's right. They did. They did. Yeah. That's exactly where they got it from. And, uh, yeah. And I remember talking and to a, Kevin Sorbo. A similar about premise. That. They, yeah. uh, uh, Dylan Hunt was in suspended animation and Andromeda, just like he was in Genesis 2. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It was something I talked to Kevin Sorbo about. And he was like, oh, yeah. He goes, no, I didn't see the original. So I didn't, uh, and I didn't want to. I just kind of wanted to do my own thing on it. So, yeah, that was, uh, that's wild. Like I said, when something's good, you usually try to find a way to incorporate it into whatever you're doing. It just kind of, you know, it, it, you know, it's tried and true, so you try to use it as much as you can, and it's such a crazy business anyway. But uh, Well, Roddenberry did, um, you know, the, the original Star Trek pilot, The Cage, yeah. you, there was an episode of Twilight Zone where um, Roddy McDowell was in a cage. That's right, that's right. And it was very similar um, to that original pilot of Star Trek. It was know? similar, but, I mean, you know, no, no idea is new, but... In Roddy McDowell's case, um, it was it was you know the, the the twist that Rod Serling would do at the end of every episode. It seemed was that they didn't think we were because everyone here is like us, or, or that something like that was the title. And uh, it turns out no, they looked at us like 
pretty much like chimpanzees, and that's why they put them in a cage. They didn't want, they didn't think very highly of humans, so uh, you know. That's and and wasn't the famous there was a famous novel about Mars that had a similar. Um, premise as well. Rock Hudson did the TV, mo- TV movie well, that was, later. That was, uh, that was Ray Bradbury and that was The Martian Chronicles. Yes. And uh, it's not that they... Um, it, it, I always looked at it that Roddenberry took the Native American experience and just kind of used and kind of made a point without, and did it in a sci-fi context. So, because essentially uh, humans, by arriving on Mars killed off the Martians by the diseases and germs that we carry. Just like, you know, here when people started settling here, the Native Americans were now uh, immune to smallpox and a lot of them died as a result. You know, the ones we didn't push off the land, they died off. So, uh, especially here in the Northeast got hit pretty hard with that. So, uh, but yeah, it was similar to that. But yeah, that was Bradbury and another, maybe there's a good version of that somewhere someday, but that was a movie that had like bits and pieces, but Rock Hudson was awfully miscast in that. He just, yeah, you know, yeah. He just didn't. I have. felt bad for him because you know he. I think he was just coming off of uh, McMillan and Wife, which was one of my yes, favorite sir. mystery shows of all time. Yeah, and, you know, was it, was, it was he was trying to find his voice. Absolutely, absolutely. But it's you know it's uh, it's great to relive this series. I'm glad it's coming back in some capacity, and then people could also watch it on DVD and enjoy it that way as well. How, um, how great it would have been to have had Elizabeth do commentary on some of those episodes. But, uh, sadly that's not the case. Uh, no. it was, uh, it was, I, I was sad the day that I heard that she passed away and it was like, Oh wow. It was like, you know, it's like you, there's signature moments in your life when you know your youth is gone or your childhood is gone. And, uh, as you get older, you experience that. But then when, the things you did or watched or the actors you knew are gone, then you really feel like that part of your life is closed. And that's the way I felt when she passed away. Well, it was a, it was a tough time. My father had died uh, a month before and then Elizabeth. Oh, wow. So it was, it was, it was a very tough time for me. Mm-hmm. Now, do you, you said you have dealings with uh, Mr. Foxworth and his kids. Do you, so you stay in touch with them at this point? No, not really. I mean, you know, I, I have their numbers and, and, you know, I had profiled, um, Robert for, um, an episode or excuse me, for an article of sci-fi entertainment. Cause I did a profile on him where we did talk about Quester and, mm-hmm. and all the different, um, films that he had, had done. I, I believe it was, oh, I'm sorry. It was on Gene Roddenberry. Oh, there you go. Gene Roddenberry. <laughs> and so we, we, uh, so I interviewed Bob then. Uh, but like I said, always cordial. Yeah. You know, I'm sure that if I if I gave him a call, he would say hello. I haven't yet heard what they thought of the books, but I'm sure that they 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 see anyone who reads either of those books, Twitch Upon a Star or The Essential Elizabeth Montgomery, will see the love you know that I put in into them. Maybe they won't agree with you know my writing style or my lack of objectivity somewhat in the first book, but there's love in those books. Yeah. And they they both pay tribute to Elizabeth, who I clearly cared a great deal about and who millions have, have adored. Yeah, and still are. I mean, they, they, they still do. By watching those shows again, uh, that's the thing about something like this now. It belongs to the ages. It's timeless. And people fall in love with Samantha all over again. They do. 
I really want to thank you for your time. It's been great talking to you and reminiscing and uh, the essential Elizabeth Montgomery. And uh, that's uh, if if you are a fan, casual or whatever, and love Bewitched, I certainly recommend that you get either one of those your, your books. It sounds really cool, and I'm glad somebody did something like that so that we don't forget this talented actor. Thank you so much, uh, and for having me on the show and for for giving me the, this this opportunity to talk about. Elizabeth and, 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 and the books, which I'm so very proud of. Taylor did a beautiful job in production. There's color photos, uh, 25 color photos in the second book, 25 color uh, black and white photos in the second book. And the first one also has a, a great amount of an assortment of uh, various black and white in color. That's awesome. Yeah, it's great. A must for, for her fans, no doubt about it. Thank you so much. Thank you. All right. Take care now. All right, you too. Special thanks to Herbie J. Pilato. Visit his official site, HerbieJPilato.com. And you can also enroll for a free lifetime membership at Sci-Fi Talk Plus with early release episodes, exclusive and uncut episodes. Just click on the link in the show notes. It's free for a lifetime. Now, if you subscribed, you would get weekly a day before the actual release. And it also uncut and commercial free. So there you go. This is Tony Tolado. Thanks for listening.